everybody, let's get started. Thanks for joining. Got a good group today, so uh, thanks for joining. And uh, if you're on my podcast, uh, you'll be hearing this later. Send me an email if you want the slides. I, I think you'll be able to get it pretty much from listening. So uh, today we're going to talk about software infrastructure and cybersecurity as it relates to a hybrid and re remote workforce. So if you're a leader in this area, it's definitely something you want to be concerned with. And I'm going to be talking about architecting the business, not the technology. So I want to make that important distinction before I continue, because uh, if you're on the business side, not the IT side, I'm talking to you. The IT side, that's fine. They need to understand this as well. But this, this starts with the leadership, the C-suite, senior VPs. This is what you need to do. So this is part of a series that I'm giving uh, beyond technology uh, for the hybrid remote workforce uh, leaders, you know, wherever you are in the world. Uh, last week, we talked about the ideal leadership and organizational attributes. Uh, so go back and listen to that or, or watch it. It should be on my YouTube channel shortly. It's not there yet. Uh, my podcast does have uh, last week's episode on it. Next week, I was going to talk about telemedicine, but I decided to change it up a little bit. I'm going to talk about innovation because uh, it, it, it follows nicely to today's talk on software. Then we'll talk about product management and marketing opportunities with hybrid remote workforce. There's a little bit of a mind, mindset change there if you're a product manager or product marketing. Uh, machine learning and AI. Uh, I think there's some applications that uh, will, will benefit use of AI, machine learning. Uh, then we'll talk about manufacturing and supply chain companies. Uh, there's definitely some issues of people who work on site versus those who are you know, off site and can work remotely or hybrid and those who, who, who have to go in. So there's some considerations there you sh you, you'll want to know about. Uh, I think there's a coming renaissance in the rural and rust belt of America. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. And then the last one, generational expectations. So generation X, uh, you know, generation Y, all, all these generations, you know, how are they going to, you know, my sons are 10 and 13. I guarantee you they're going to approach all this very differently than, you know, our, our current workforce. So something you need to think about for the long term. So the agenda, quick introduction of myself, let you know who I am, who you're, who's, who's talking. Go over some quick numbers. Uh, went into this in more detail last week, uh, but you know today I'm just going to give you the high level. Leadership attributes, I'm going to go over that again because I can't emphasize that enough. That's where everything starts, uh, with leadership. Uh, then we'll talk about software <clears throat> considerations, infrastructure, cybersecurity, and then you know I'll give you a, a couple of team software packages uh, that I've used that I like. So a bit about me. I've been in the business for 30 years, undergrad. University of Maryland and uh, worked for IBM right out of college, was with them for a decade and a half. Then uh, I need to find a word for like a, a startup that turned into a small business because I've, I've co-founded five of those. So we put a few million through the businesses, but you know, it was interesting. I've, I've worked with, you know, a lot of companies on Fortune 500, Inc. 5000, uh, lived in 10 different states, uh, 15 different cities. <laughs> I've been around. I know quite a few different uh, types of people from different areas of the country. Uh, I've been involved in software engineering. That's where I got my start. Product management, product marketing and marketing and organizational change management. And uh, some of my hobbies, I love to ride motorcycles. My sons and I like to go flying and we go to Oshkosh every year and camp underneath the, the plane. So that's always fun. All right. 
So, survey says most people want a hybrid workplace. I think as we start returning to work after this pandemic, most people are going to want to work in the office, you know, a couple of three days a week and a couple of three days a week from home. They're more productive at home. I mean, you just can't get around it. There's a problem, and I talked about this last week, and I just want to mention it really quickly, that if you don't have a clear set of goals for your organization, people will actually overwork at home because they don't want to feel like they're, they're not doing the right thing. And if they don't have any direction, they're going to try and do everything. So that, that's not good. 30% of people want to work in the office because they're extroverts. They just can't stand not being around people or being in an office. And then there's 20%, you know, they're, they're just people who slide pizza under the door and, you know, they get the work done. Very introverted, you know, they, they do get a lot more done at, at home. I'm going to talk about this later somewhere. I got to fit this in. But, you know, people who just start with the company, you know, when you just hire talent, they really need to be on site or with a group of people, you know, until they get up to speed and everybody knows them. And then you can transition them back, uh, even the people who don't want to be in the office. Uh, you know, they, they, they just need some visibility so people know who they are. Harvard did a study about, uh, what was that, 2016. And uh, the, the top two things in their list, I'm sorry, five and six, but it's still in the top ten, right? Collaborative ecosystem and an agile and adaptive organization. Both of those are very well served by setting up a good leadership program. You know, you know what the goals are. You don't micromanage them, commander's intent. And you set up the tools and technologies that they need to exceed. Uh, that creates a collaborative ecosystem. And, you know, software is going to help with that, but there's still a mindset. And you need an agile and adaptive organization. Uh, everybody's heard agile, like they're probably sick of hearing about agile, but, you know, it's a good technique. Simple strategic plan, strong leadership, results-based culture, clear organizational goals, lead by example. That's the leadership. For the organization, they have a growth mindset. Carol Dweck has a great book on this. People feel accountable to their peers. They're focused on outcomes and results. They can easily explain how they fit into the mission and purpose of the organization. And they have fun together. Even the leaders have fun. If you're a leader, if you're a CEO, business owner, and you're not having fun, why? You should be. All right, so let's get one other concept down before we start talking about software, infrastructure, cybersecurity. There's an exponential growth in capabilities as far as software goes. When I first got into this industry, it was mainly mainframe. There was no internet. We have leaps and bounds over where we were, uh, you know, decades ago. And it just keeps growing. Every day, another two software startups start and produce some software that solve a problem. You need to figure out what your business problems are first and then go look for the technologies. I guess that's what I'm trying to say here. Some of the technologies, big data, internet of things, robotic process automation, Drones, mobile technologies, blockchain. These are why you need to know your business process because yesterday you weren't able to do some things. Today, you are. Say you have big data now collected on a lot of your customers and you're in marketing. That's low hanging fruit, but still, you have a lot of data on your customers. You can use artificial intelligence to go through that and find out 
how they respond best. Believe me, that's still not a perfected uh, situation. Even Amazon doesn't have it perfected according to some AI professors that I know. Uh, there's a lot more to be done there. Anyway, blockchain, people are forming consortiums around blockchain for supply chain. Supply chain's going nuts these days. It's reconfiguring just about daily after this pandemic. China's invading Taiwan, maybe, who knows, you know, Russia, Crimea. You, you need to think about how your supply chain might function. Uh, any, anyway, so let, let's, let's, let's get on. Here's some of the blockchain. Honeywell, Microsoft, IBM, they're all involved in some form of, of blockchain projects. The reason why I want to mention this is you need to think about your business model, your revenue model, your go-to-market models, and how will you use these new technologies in your strategy? Uh, they're very dynamic. You don't want to use some of them now, but as they grow better, you may want to start taking advantage of them for a competitive advantage. What's your talent needs for these type of technologies? And even on the business side, do they know how to take advantage of the processes that they enable? All right, so let's get to software as an enabler. So think of the process first. When I've worked with customers in the past, uh, you know, I worked with one Fortune 10 company. First thing I did is analyze, you know, what is the process? And actually, I'll talk about like a, a smaller company first. I worked with a, with a, with a $3 million company. You know, you, you need to find the friction first. Their technology didn't really support the business. They had four or five locations, a services-oriented business, and just making appointments was a nightmare for this company. So the first thing we looked at was why. You know, where was the performance bottleneck? It ended up being a server uh, that was 10 years old. And I'll get to more of that later because that's a good example for all three of the things we're going to talk about today, software, infrastructure, and cybersecurity. So we fixed the reservation system first. Break the business down into functional components and then map the workflow of each one of those components. So the Fortune 10 company I worked with earlier, uh, it was something in their their brand asset business. So large company, they've got a lot of equity in their brand uh, and they, they share their logos with other companies. So that would be a functional unit, a functional business. You know, that's something you can wrap your hands around, understand the processes and, and understand what software needs they may have. So map the workflow. In this particular case, you know, a customer would submit a, a request to use a brand asset the person on the inside of the company would take that and start a process, emailing it to different people. Different people would make comments. They would forward it to somewhere else, legal for instance. Marketing would get copied. They'd provide their input. So you wanna map this workflow. What are the triggers? So if someone makes a comment, what happens to it? Uh, where does it go? Who uses that information? Uh, you know, what are the jobs to be done? So legal has a job to be done. Marketing has a job to be done. Everybody has a job to do in getting this brand asset request through the system and then back out to the customer to say yes or no, or here's how. Once you've done that, 
map out the locations. Where does this need to be done from? If it could all be done from one site and it's only ever done from one site, then you don't really have to worry about multiple locations, which that would affect hybrid and remote. Hybrid and remote design also takes into account things you can do with your customers. So if you design it to be accessed by your employees offsite, that means now you have capabilities that your customers might be able to use if you so desire. And then any security concerns. I mean, is this, is this data like on a scale of one to five, uh, you know, is it super critical, you know, formula, trade secret that you want to have locked down pretty well. And that's, that's good requirements to have going into the software phase. If it's who really cares, it's not a good idea, but you know, it's not going to affect the business that much, then, Maybe you have looser security protocols around that, but it's something you want to know. It's something you need to document. Then you have to decide on build or buy. This Fortune 10 company I was working with, we looked at build. Uh, Internal had built it earlier, you know, the earlier system. But when I pulled all the pieces together and looked at it, it really didn't make sense. If you use the software as a service, for instance, they're always adding functionality uh, and features to their software. The internal team, you know, they're single threaded. They have to work on certain projects and you get in line. So if you want something new, you have to wait for it. It's a decision you have to make, build or buy. So define the steps first, then go look for technology solutions. If you do it the other way around, you're going to run around in circles because 5 million business apps out there. You have to figure out your business process, match the software to it. Don't over automate the process. I've seen a lot of companies automate processes and wrap technology around it to the effect that when the business changes, that process is locked in. And now all of a sudden they have to do gymnastics to get around the processes. This is where you have people reverting to Excel spreadsheets because the system just doesn't work anymore. Design it so that it's flexible for the future, consider the future. Are there other things that could happen in the futures, new technologies? You know, how flexible can you be after you put this system in place? Don't be afraid of small companies. There's a lot of good software out there uh, that startups are using and, you know, even, even funded companies. Get your Series A. Uh, one way to protect yourself is make sure that the software is in an escrow. So if these guys go out of business, you can at least access their, their code. You know, maybe you take it on yourself uh, and, and you know maybe hire somebody else to, to work on it. But the last thing you want to do is start building your business on top of a piece of software that, that goes away and you have no recourse, no risk management. So don't be afraid of them. Just make sure you set yourself up for success. Infrastructure considerations. Now that you've mapped the business process, you've figured out where your functions are, your jobs to be done, who's doing what how your customers interact. And customers should always be the forefront of any of these decisions that you make. Do you want to go in-house or in the cloud? A lot of companies feel that their business is safer with all their computers inside of their four walls. Maybe, maybe not. I tell you what, they all had a large problem last, uh, last spring when everybody was put on lockdown uh, if they didn't have remote access set up. And that's an internal job that all of a sudden their internal people who are already probably overloaded now have to take on. Uh, I actually heard of one company that they allowed all the business functions to work from home except for the IT team. That's about as backwards as you can get, right? <laughs> hey, takes all kinds, I guess. Cloud architectures, 
one way you can get around this, put your servers in a cloud uh, you know, with a hosting company. They, they take your actual servers, they put them in racks, uh, they supply their networks to it, their power, but you have redundancy in their power. Uh, they can offer services that uh, you know, your staff isn't equipped to handle uh, or they're just too busy to handle. You can use shared servers where you move your applications to servers that you know, other companies are using parts of the servers. So the response time isn't as quick, but maybe it's not a critical application and the costs are lower. You can get a dedicated server, obviously, uh, and even outsource. Uh, I worked with one company uh, back when I was at IBM. I had a team of ERP programmers uh, that, that reported to me and we were moving their data center at the same time. So installing a brand new ERP system and moving a data center, that was a fun time, but uh, it really was actually. But the reason why they did that is it was able to, they were able to provide much better um, support. The response was much quicker. They were moving it from mid-range to mainframe type applications. Uh, actually, maybe faster, faster mid-ranges. This wasn't a consideration at the time, but now it would be. They're in an IBM data center. The data, you could just call the data center and say, hey, I need to give all my people in the field access now because we're all working from home. Easy. If it had been on site, which is where it was, they weren't equipped for that. Uh, they'd probably have to call the local telecom, get something set up. You know, you're talking probably a two or three week delay before people can really get work done from home in that kind of situation. So cybersecurity. Oh, infrastructure. I said I was going to mention that other company I worked with. So the reason why their system was so slow in taking reservations, their main server that they based their business on was plugged into the wall behind a, a tree next to the receptionist in one of their buildings. I kid you not. <laughs> they were running a $3 million business with multiple locations off one server in one of their branches and it was behind a little tree next to the front door. We fixed that like immediately and I'll just go ahead and continue that story. We got them set up with the vendor who had off started offering a, a cloud service, software as a service for the exact same software. So it was just a matter of moving their software from that server to the cloud. That's the first thing I told them to do. I, I met with them on Friday and I said, you know, by Monday we're going to do this. And like, yeah, okay. So Sunday, before we even were able to move the software, on Sunday, one of the employees got a phishing attack. There was an email sent and somebody opened up an attachment. Yeah, you already know what's gonna happen. So the server uh, was infected by a virus and they lost everything for that weekend because the last backup they had taken, which was off a drive sitting on top of the computer behind the tree. <laughs> And I realize a lot of you executives, you know, you're way beyond this. It's just a funny story. But uh, they lost everything up to that Friday. So they had to re-enter all this information. If it's in a data center, if it's in the cloud, they're going to have much better security. If you think it can't happen to you, you're wrong. Equifax, they had a Linux server sitting in a back room that was attached to their network that they had used for a development project you know, years prior. And... Somehow it had fallen off the, the list of things that they needed to work on. They had forgotten or didn't know to apply a patch that Linux had released uh, to solve a security problem. 
You know what happened with Equifax? It, it took them down. Security, Amazon Web Services, they apply patches to all of these machines. The latest security is, you know, is installed into their networks. They keep the applications up to date. They just have the staff and the infrastructure and the processes to handle this. So if, if, if you're still using in-house equipment and infrastructure and it's not part of your core competence, you really need to move this to the cloud. And I think we really got exposed to that last year. Um, matter of fact, I think last year probably motivated many companies uh, to just go ahead and move everything to the cloud, uh, you know, qu quit trying to save stuff on site. So the way you get around phishing, some of these other, educate your workforce regularly. Teach them about phishing, you know, strange emails. Uh, make sure they update their software regularly. Even their wireless routers at home. A lot of people have wireless routers that are probably three or four years old, and there's been major releases of software for some of these routers to protect against security breaches. But these people haven't updated their routers. They probably don't know how. So you might want to have them instructions or give them access to you know some way. But if they're working from home, this is definitely something you want to consider. Make sure everything's password protected. Their laptops. Uh, use VPNs and multi-factor authentication. There are several apps. Google has uh, an app on their phone that, you know, you pick a six-digit number that expires every 30 seconds and you enter that in. That's multi-factor authentication. And pen testing. Uh, the large Fortune 10 company I talked about earlier, we ended up moving them from an on-premise uh, site where it was built behind, you know, it was built inside their four walls. Uh, you couldn't even access it outside, you know, from home or anything. And one lady had to maintain that application. So every time a request came in, she had to enter it in. Uh, the workflow, all the emails that were circulating, she had to transcribe all that into this app to be able to, you know, keep track of it all. We found two SaaS applications, SaaS, uh, Software as a Service applications. And interestingly enough, there was a company that I always knew uh, as a statistical application company, SAS, SaaS. They had the best marketing workflow tool uh, I've ever seen. Marketing workflow. So earlier when I talked about mapping the business process and then finding the software, most companies, their processes are held together by email and chat. This was an actual piece of software that took those jobs to be done and the triggers and the workflow and built it all into one nice application that you could buy licenses right off the internet. We did a pen test and it, it, it passed. Uh, Pricewaterhouse and a few other companies, you know, do pen testing. That's where they, they try to break into the system any way they can and test everything. So that way you know that it's safe and secure. The software is available anywhere. At the time, this wasn't a consideration, but it is now. Uh, it's the software as a service, so you just log into their servers. And it met their corporate guidelines for security. They bought licenses. Uh, we actually found two companies, one that was uh, extremely cheap, but, you know, they, they were more of a startup, but they were well established enough to feel comfortable doing business with. And the SAS product was just, they priced it. They were proud of their product, let's put it that way. But it solved the workflow problem. 
the customer could actually log on. You could give a log on to the customer. The customer could initiate the request through the system. So there it's already documented from the get-go. Everybody has access to it. It would trigger a note notification to be sent to the next person that needs to work on it. Uh, it could even span multiple people to start working on it. Legal, marketing, what have you. Everyone has constant visibility of what's going on. There's a lot of good workflow tools out there, and they aren't based on Microsoft Teams and Zoom. Uh, they're, they're dedicated. So if this is something you can take advantage of and you're not, you really should be looking at that. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's a lot of good software tools out there. Um, I'm actually, I'm more of an Apple guy, but Microsoft Teams, I've been using that for the past year on a lot of different client engagements and it's it's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> you can chat, you can call people, you can store documents. You can't quite do workflow that I saw, but I did notice there were some SharePoint and some other hooks into it that looked like you could probably build some workflow tools into it. And of course, all of Microsoft's agile tools are built in. So if you look at that aspect, there's a little bit of workflow, but that's more on the technology side. Google Meet, Zoom, they're all good. Slack is okay if you start using uh, a lot of different vendor tools to sort of build it out. Lucid Chart and Lucid Spark, I've used. I like those. They're, they're really easy to use and they've been around for a while. I think they've been around for at least 15 years. I remember another project where we were working on an Enterprise 2.0 collaboration project with uh, a, a large client. We used Lucid Chart at that time. That was back in 2006, I believe to map out all the processes and the jobs to be done, uh, to map this workflow that was for a usability company. Airtable is sort of like a spreadsheet database that you can customize that's, that's really nice. Trello, Dropbox, everybody knows about those. So those good software, they're not an end-all be-all. They're ones I've used, I can recommend them, but you really need to find software that supports your processes. And if you need to get into supply chain, blockchain is something that's coming. Those you need to design with your business partners in mind. So you'd put together like a blockchain consortium. That's a business thing that you have to do to decide how you're going to use it, how you're going to get value out of it. If you're with competitors, you know, how do you protect your areas within that blockchain workflow? Different things to consider. So... That's it. Uh, software, infrastructure, cybersecurity, and a lot of the frameworks around that. I uh, hope you enjoyed it and uh, look forward to talking to you next week when we talk about innovation. All right. Thanks. See you guys later. Bye.